0: to our attention that a mysterious force is loose somewhere in outer space welcome to talk tank hello you have reached the talk tank the official lse entrepreneurs podcast where we delve into the minds of those who think live and breathe outside the box my name is Sia, and i will be your host for today Welcome to Bits and Bytes, our series dedicated to innovation and technology at the heart of society's change. By searching into the technology that drives transformation, we will meet the humans who revolutionize our lives bit by bit. Paul Miller, OBE, is the CEO of Bethnal Green Ventures, an early-stage tech-for-good VC. Bethnal Green Ventures was established in 2012 and has invested in 166 ventures since then. Previously, Paul was a co-founder of the School of Everything, which in 2008 has raised over £350,000 in seed funding. Uh, It's all pennies for you now. Uh, Very excited. Welcome, Paul. And as I mentioned to you off record, I think it makes sense to give people a little bit of a briefing and a discussion about VC. So I'll start with a few questions uh, and then our listeners understand a little bit the context of some of the things we'll later talk about. Let me start with one thing. What is a venture capital firm? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it it's a good question but i um venture capital basically came about because when you're in the the early stages of trying to create a company that's doing something new it's almost impossible to raise what people might consider to be conventional finance so to to walk into a bank and ask them for a loan to do something because they just don't understand it they you know that they, they they understand things that have been done before and they understand things where there's um you know, you invest a certain amount of money into uh, equipment and then you get you sell the, the widgets for a certain amount afterwards. But they don't understand uh, and can't measure or work out how to how to back businesses where they're trying to do something new and they're trying to do something that might not generate any revenue or any income for quite a while. The venture capital basically came about to, to try and solve that a question and it was it was really invented in the US uh, particularly after the second world war when you had whole waves of new technology that some of which had been you know invented in the second world war that people were trying to turn into businesses when the, you know in peacetime and the venture capital world came from that where you'd find you know people who understood the tech and who really had great connections to to the the innovators who would say okay well I'll put some money in whilst the banks won't back you um, but in return for that i want i want uh, you know a share of the business and a share of the upside as it were and that's where venture capital came from and it's it's gradually matured over the last 50 60 years to become a really quite important part of the the way that new tech is developed and and the way that those tech technologies become businesses and become you know part of our everyday life um, and it's got, a, it's got a very different model from the way that banks would lend to businesses, which we can talk about a little bit. But it makes it it means that there's there's actually very little crossover between uh, the sort of normal ways of financing businesses and venture capital. They are quite separate things. And and you almost have to decide, are you a, a venture backed business or are you a, a conventional business quite early on in some ways uh, if, if you're if you're trying to start a new a new company?
0: Sometimes you hear terms thrown around like general partners and limited partners. What do do those terms refer to?
1: So uh, limited partners are the people who invest in venture capital funds. So uh, those are typically um, things like pension funds or uh, they could be, um, you know, uh, wealthy people or it could be. uh, or it could it could be the government as well. So the government is a big backer of venture capital firms as a limited partner. Um, the general partner is typically the 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 actual VC firm. So that's the that's the the firm that is making the decisions about how that investment is made. So the limited partners are limited in the way that they can influence the decisions of the fund. The general partners they make the decisions about how that fund is invested. Um, so, for example, at BGV, you know, one of our limited partners is uh, uh, Big Society Capital, who are the largest sort of wholesale impact investor in the UK. And then I am a general partner in, the, in, in Bethnal Green Ventures, and I help to take the decisions about how we invest that money into early stage startups. So that's the difference between limited partners and general partners. And limited partners typically they they're investing or committing an amount to invest in a in a firm, usually for ten years. So they don't expect to get any money back for ten years, um, but when they do get it back, they expect it to be pretty good rate of return. So they're expecting to get maybe you know two, three, four times their money back when when it comes to the end of that 10 years, which is quite different from what you would get if you just put it into a, you know, government bonds or, a, you know, a savings account. So they're, they're expecting more money back than 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 most investments, because it is very high risk. Uh, but they they are uh, comfortable with not get not being able to get their money back before the 10 years are up.
0: That, that's a good point. And I want to come back to that performance issue. Let me Let me read out something to you that relates to something you said earlier. It's actually a line from The Economist. Let me see if you agree or disagree with that. And so The Economist had a line saying that VCs are about helping entrepreneurs that are too callow or strange to sit in a room with state bankers. Do you agree with this?
1: Uh, (laughs) Not quite. I think it's... um some of the best ideas come from very unusual places and from uh and some of the best businesses come from you know pretty unusual people and and to be honest like bankers just don't know how to deal with that that's 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 the difference is they they banks and um more conventional sort of sources of of, of finance and loans and so on they they they've they're very risk averse because they they only want to back stuff where they know it's worked before. So if I walk in saying, I want to open a restaurant, if I show them the business plan that looks like the other business plans they've seen for a new restaurant, and I can say, you know, give a bit of my experience as to why I think I'll be able to deliver on that. And that, yeah, that's, that's fine. That's great. If I, if I walk in saying I've got a completely new way of offering healthcare, then, then that, that bank just, yeah they, they won't know where to start because they'll be like well what's it like and you say well actually it's it's not like anything that's been there before that's the point i think it will it will grow to become very big because it's something that hasn't been invented and hasn't been seen before um and that's 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 the real difference between you know venture-backed businesses and more conventional businesses is that they tend to be trying to do something and grow very fast because they're doing something new
0: So some people, when they think of uh, venture capital and when they think of outlandish founders, uh, they may think of um, the founder of Atari. I don't know if people remember that company. It used to be a video game, a video console provider. And he was famous for having meetings and social events in bathtubs. Um, (laughs) Are you seeing characters like that when you invest? No, (laughs) Um,
1: we see some we see a real diversity of people who who come come to us and and have I guess ideas to solve problems and you have to remember with Bethnal Green Ventures we're we're focused particularly on founders who are trying to solve social and environmental problems as well as build like you know very high growth big businesses so they tend to have experience of particular social problems so uh for example um you know, one of our very successful founders, uh, she started her career as a, as a as a as a nurse at Great Ormond Street. And, and during her time there, she saw that uh, clinical trials that were being done around rare diseases, particularly with children, just weren't very effective. They weren't, you know, kids don't fill in forms very accurately. You know, I mean, it's it's it's, it's not a, a good way of doing it. And so she created a business that helps to um, use technology to 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 monitor children who are part of clinical trials and correct, collect more accurate data about how uh, drugs or the trial affects their symptoms. Um, and that, that business, um, which is called Aparito, uh, has gone on to be you know very, very successful. But it's based on her experience of the problem. Um, and that's that's pretty common in BGV. So we have a real diversity of founders because they come from the places where the problems are. So they could be, you know, um they could have experience in the energy industry and they're trying to build something that helps
0: them sorry
1: that was a call um should i start again no Um, i mean uh, feel free to go on
0: i mean people are used to hiccups i mean that's just entrepreneurial (laughs)
1: um so yeah and that and that means that people are from all walks of life and so the, the just the the uh, the gender diversity, the ethnic diversity of BGV's portfolio does tend to be quite much greater than other venture capital uh, firms because we're looking for people who've got experience of particular, you know, social and environmental problems. So I think that's they're they're not um, they're not crazies in a you know they don't they're not like they don't uh, behave necessarily idiosyncratically, but they do have a real like deep experience of the problems that they're trying to solve.
0: Mm. there's another ter- term i'm hoping you can explain for for us and that's that's the term that you sometimes hear that vcs are about relationship capital not transactional capital what, what does that mean
1: um so i think I, I think it means that essentially venture capital is a long-term relationship between the investor and the the founders typically certainly between the the investor and the company you know, not always the founders don't always stay on for the whole life of the company but but yeah, know that, that 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 does often happen actually but um and so when you get when you when you when you start a relationship with a venture capital firm if you're a founder then um, you've got to be very comfortable in the relationship with that with that usually with that particular person at that venture capital firm because they will be very heavily incentivized to stay at the firm uh and so they'll probably be the person that you deal with right up to the point where you you might exit your company and sell it to somebody else. So sure, you have to really look at you know what's the money they're offering, what's the what's the transactional side of it, but the relationship is probably going to affect your company and your life more than the money on its own. And that's uh why I think the venture capital business is very much based on those kind of relationships.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me ask this question, because there are often criticisms of of anything, particularly, you know, financial firms, there's criticisms of VCs, some some of the things I've read, I don't think I would have made those points or made them in, in those ways. Do you feel there are things that people misunderstand about VCs?
1: Um, yeah, there's definitely some misunderstanding. There is, don't get me wrong, there is definitely bad behaviour in the venture capital industry. There, not all VCs are nice or good people. Um, and there are some incentives in the system that I don't think are healthy and I hope will change. Um, and uh, I mean, until recently, and this is it's starting to change, but the venture capital industry was institutionally biased. Um, I, you know, it One one pence in the pound of like uk venture capital was going into female founded businesses you know it was it was crazy it was ridiculous it was you know just didn't make any didn't make any sense but it came from um essentially like you know bias and not maybe not on the part of everybody concerned would have would accept that but there was an institutional bias away from female founders mm-hmm. and that's starting to change and I, I hope it changes very a lot but but those kind of things like don't make don't make you feel good necessarily about the venture capital industry there's also you know i think a, a valid criticism of the venture capital industry is it it focuses actually on quite short term wins yeah it should be there for trying to solve big long term problems because it's it's a very luxurious position to be in as a venture capitalist to be able to think long term and think okay well how can i back things that do have that sort of 10 year uh positive impact on society but actually you know at times the venture capital industry is just focused on like how do we make more people click on ads and and you know it it just seems sometimes I think people look at what are venture capitalists investing in I think that's you know that that's not going to change the world and and again I think that's that's been a valid criticism of the venture capital industry um so yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I'm not a, uh, wouldn't defend it en masse. I think it's got good bits and bad bits. Um, but I do think it is a really important part of, you know, creating the future. Um, and uh, it, it, it's likely to become a much bigger part of the finance system, I would say, over the next 10, 20 years. It's, it's, it's grown a lot over the last 10 years, but it will continue to grow, is my my, my guess.
0: Hmm. I mean, this is a bit of a side point, but uh, to your point of uh, female founders, I think about a year or so ago, uh, some academics in the US, they published a study where they uh, randomly sent out the same pitch deck. And sometimes it was from men, sometimes it was from female, they were identical. And then they looked at response rates, and they were slightly in favor for women, suggesting that bottlenecks would be somewhere else. It's not at the pitch and get invited um stage. i
1: think yeah i mean i think it's, it's to some extent um almost a sort of pre-pipeline question so people mm-hmm. sometimes talk about it as a pipeline question like venture capitalists will say well i don't have the women approaching me to invest in them uh i'm not sure that's always true but um uh, but i think there is yeah you know, a lot of people and not this isn't just limited to to gender but there's lots of people who are from um you know Less conventional backgrounds. When they look, if you look at the tech world in terms of you know the, the the founders of successful tech startups, they are you know the ones that are held up by the media and actually by the venture capital industry are quite often male, middle aged, um, maybe maybe on the younger side of middle age, but um, and so there's there's less people look at the, the the venture capital world, look at the investment world, and think, oh, that's not for me. And they don't even get into the, the system of thinking about oh I can pitch a VC firm with my idea or or pitch angel investors or whatever it might be. So I think that there's there's been an overall image problem, an overall problem. Not it's not specific to any one investor or any particular point in the in the decision making process. It's been a more of a brand problem, to be honest. Um, but yeah, hopefully that is starting to change. But it's um, it it. I, I, I couldn't defend some of the like statistics from the last ten years of venture capital. I think they're, I think they're abominable.
0: Well, speaking of statistics, and back to the point of the value of. Of VCs, I I wrote down some statistics, and these are coming from the Economist. So, for the listeners, you know, the Economist reports that globally, VCs deployed six hundred billion dollars in capital in twenty twenty one, I think, which was ten times more than a decade ago and twenty times more than in the two thousands. VC backed companies account for forty one percent of U.S. market capitalization and sixty two percent of U.S. public companies R&D spending. So there seems to be a disproportionate amount of success coming from VC-backed companies, and a disproportionate amount of interest in innovating from VC-backed companies. Um, and therefore, some people have taken the position that you know VCs are an engine for human progress, for human innovation, moonshot innovations. And then there is you know the idea it was VCs who in the early days backed Apple or Moderna, where the vaccine came from, or one of the vaccines. And it wasn't traditional finance who did it. it.
1: It's it's not quite as simple as that, but mm. yes, it, I mean it. I think the um, the growth of uh, of VC backed businesses into more mainstream markets, so getting into onto the Nasdaq or onto into the um other other stock markets that's been going on for a while now and and it uh, yeah we do think about it as like okay well how are we going to back the companies now that will be at the top of the FTSE 100 in you know 15 10 15 years time um and uh yeah that that that's that's an important thing that there's obviously other routes there um i think it's, it's interesting comparison between europe and the us as well though so that those stats would be far lower my. Might- is my guess for European stock markets, for example. So, if you were to look at public markets in Europe, certainly in the UK, uh, the proportion of companies that are there that were venture backed will be will be lower. I think I think that'll change because Europe has been rapidly catching up with the US when it comes to you know the amount of money going into venture capital from, from uh, funds. Um, but um, yeah, it's 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 less of a phenomenon. Today in in Europe than it is in the US in terms of like you know what what has it achieved, but I think I do think that Europe will in ten years time will have caught up in terms of you know the the number of companies that are at the top of the stock markets mm. uh, in Europe that that were venture backed, and I I hope that those are the you know the kind mm. of companies that we back in terms of are the ones that actually do have a positive social and environmental impact as well.
0: Mm. I mean, uh, some places, so and let's actually talk about, you know, the UK as an environment for a VC to operate in, what are its strengths and weaknesses. Um, sometimes when you read around a bit, you see the numbers of, of spent, like it seems 40% of the VC money is deployed in the US, 40% in China, that's the next best, and the rest is, you know, Europe and and, and the other places. I'm not always quite sure how accurate these statistics are. They always vary a little bit from study to study. There's, I'm sure there's a Chinese whispers element as well. Somebody repeats um, some stuff that just gets magnified and exaggerated somewhere else Um, but there is a little bit that trope I've heard that you know in the US companies come to you right Uh, if a startup they just come to you and in Europe it's a little bit the other way around you have to go to the startup in Stuttgart they won't come to to London but what do you see as strengths and weaknesses right now operating in in London and in Europe?
1: Um, So it, it it it's it's much better than it was, is, is one thing. I mean, the the growth of when, when I mean, if we go back to sort of 2006, 2008, which is when I was running a, a startup in London, um, the only really early stage finance you could get was from angel investors or potentially there were a few kind of companies who were starting to do to, to run programs, to invest in early stage startups. But the venture capital industry in London at the time um, was was very much so you had to have proved that you were like on on a growth path already before they would invest. So there were a handful of firms, to be honest as well, probably you know maybe maybe maximum 10 firms that you that were reputable that you could that you could uh, talk to about about your startup. And a lot of startups from the UK went to go and raise money in the US. And we certainly raised money from um angels in the US. And and when we were looking for uh our sort of you know next round, we were looking to to American investors rather than to to UK or European investors. And I don't that doesn't really happen as much anymore. So um, you know, if you're a startup based in London, you've got a, a real choice of um early stage investors that you could go to. There's some household names and almost like you know so uh you know seed camp um and there's lots of other uh pre-seed and seed stage funds in 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 london that you can approach and and the angel scene is much much more sophisticated much there's there's a lot more of them and uh, people have specializations they're, they've they've got extra you know things they can add beyond the money as well and then there's a whole panoply of european seed funds particularly where they're they're, they're looking to invest maybe a million euros or that kind of level um and you've got real choice there i mean sure you've got to make the grade but when you when you go out to raise money you've got lots of people that you could potentially approach in a way that just wasn't possible 10 years ago so it's much much better than it was um and if it actually in some ways i would say that europe is uh is ahead of the us so um particularly when it comes to Uh, impact driven investing Um, I would certainly say that that, the European sophistication around how do you uh, work out whether a company is going to be impactful how do you measure that impact how do you um, how how do you help them to communicate that impact to their their customers their employees all those kinds of things I actually think that's more sophisticated in Europe than it is in the U.S. at the moment so so there are some bits of uh, the European venture capital ecosystem that are actually probably ahead of the U.S. now.
0: I don't know if that was correctly reported or correctly remembered. I think when you started the School of Everything, um, there was an article in the FT 2008 or 6, I think. And I think it mentioned that you guys were resistant raising money from VCs back then and that instead you went to Esther Dyson and Channel 4 and the Nesta Fund. Is that correctly reported? You didn't want to take money from VCs?
1: It wasn't so much resistant it was more that there there, there there, wasn't any vc necessarily to raise at the stage that we were at in the in the uk so um it was uh i mean we did we did talk to 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 the the firms that were around at the time but they basically all said you know come back later um and i think uh yeah it, I, and that, that was that was common amongst other friends who were a similar stage firm similar stage startups as well was it was it was only startups that were much further along that were able to raise venture capital from UK based firms and they were typically raising you know several million whereas we didn't need to raise several million at the stage we were at so yeah I don't think it was that we were resistant it was more that we didn't have (laughs) didn't have the choice or didn't have the option. Um, And it was it did. The other thing was, I think at the time, um, business angels in in the UK, majority of business angels were a bit more dragon's den than Silicon Valley in that they were um, sort of, you know, wanted to take a huge chunk of your company for not very much money, uh, rather than like the, the, the more sophisticated, I would say, approach that you get in Silicon Valley, where essentially angels come in with a small check and then but then help in a Uh, in a lot of ways and they're they're only obviously minority shareholders but they're they're able to to help businesses grow based on their experience as well um and in the uk at the time and this isn't true anymore but um angels were were pretty unsophisticated and um we we were lucky that we found some 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 really good ones but we did also go to the us and to other countries uh, to to find angels who could really add value
0: I mean, whilst we are on on the topic of your former startup, your trajectory was uh, you worked um, as a policy advisor, senior researcher, and then you started your own startup. I'm going to use the trope and say it's unusual. I know it's not true, um, but how came that to be? Um, So
1: I've always been interested in uh just how technology can be used to to improve things um you know always just just always always been fascinated by technology though actually you know, i think part of the reason i i sort of stu- i studied physics at university um uh, and part of the reason for that was just a was a fascination with 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 technology and um and sort of yeah the the the, the element of like discovering things if you like that, that comes with physics which came from part, partly from that um, but i've always i've also always been an activist i've always been involved in campaigns to do with global justice or environmental issues since i was an you know, early teenager and that, that comes from some of um, uh you know my my mum particularly was um, very involved in, in global justice campaigning and i think the two came together for me at the time in the think tank world, so you know, in in the early noughties, we're talking so two thousand and one or or so, we, just after the dot com crash. Uh, so there, to some extent, I probably yeah, you know, I don't think I really tried, but there, were, there weren't any jobs in technology at the time that that, that would have worked uh, for me. But it did feel like uh, it was something that interested policymakers and um uh, and and companies particularly like how could you use technology to improve sustainability at the time so so i started working that and writing about it to be honest so just going and talking to technologists going and um learning what was the people were thinking was was coming down the 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 road in terms of technology and writing about that and advising governments and companies on you know how they might want to think about it in the future and i did that for a few years and put out lots of uh, pamphlets as they're quaintly called from 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 a couple of think tanks so one called forum for the future and one called demos um and i think after a few years i got to the point where i could see that the technology was getting easier and cheaper to to deploy to the point where actually to some extent rather than writing pamphlets i could actually try practically Proving some of the things that I'd been writing about and thinking about, so left the think tank world to to go and try running a startup. And um, uh, when I left, I didn't know what that startup would be, but soon met some people who uh, were also interested in doing that. But um, and the the area that we all you know, found a common interest in was was adult education and and how you could in, improve lifelong learning using technology. So so that's that's how that happened. Um, I'm not sure whether it's is that unconventional. When you start to to meet more VCs and like ask, you know, how did they get into it? Um, there are some, there, there are lots of different ways into it. Um, my particular path is is yes, is probably unusual, but uh, I think actually you, you do tend to find that there's 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 a variety of different ways into venture capital. There's not just one path, um, which is probably a good thing to be honest.
0: Mm. And then speaking of the uh, landscape of venture capital and in Europe, uh, you know, I remember in 2020, people were concerned about, they thought things are going to dry up, then they didn't. Um, Now interest rates are high, and it has been reported that therefore, you know, deployment of capital has stopped. There's a lot of dry powder. Some people are returning capital to their limited partners. Uh, Are you right now seeing similar things in Europe?
1: So I don't think that really applies to the early stage venture capital mm-hmm. um, business. So I th- I think those stories are mainly related to later stage venture capital. Um, certainly we haven't seen any- anything like that. Um, and we're we're getting more interest, if anything, from limited partners than than we have previously. Um, I think there was um, 2021 statistically was a bit of a blip for the venture capital industry in terms of it was the highest ever amount raised and the amount invested and the valuations of companies in 2021 were were crazy. And and um, now we're back to what I would consider to be more normal levels. Um, and that's that's probably that's, that's probably you know healthy. But but the the bit that is missing from the market is some of that later stage investment that wasn't necessarily from uh, established sort of venture capital players. It was often from new entrants, so large companies or uh, sovereign wealth funds, those kinds of players who got involved because it was also exciting at the time, and they've now retreated. Uh, which means that the venture capital industry and the tech industry more generally is back to normal, uh, rather than, you know, it, uh, certainly we're not seeing a, a complete retreat by any means. And I think the long-term trend is towards more money being allocated to venture capital. Um, and okay, sure, it's it's not not as high now as it was in twenty twenty one, but it's it's still going up gradually over time. Mm.
0: You know, sometimes the VC market has been. Uh maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but described as a winner-takes-all market in many ways. I mean, I think there was a Kaufman Foundation report where it was like 62 out of 100 VCs um, do not give you excess public market returns. Mm-hmm. And so th- there's a question of, what would what you think the really good VCs do?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, they... Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. They 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 back companies that turn out to be successful, you know, and they get the returns from 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 that. Obviously, you have to unpack that a huge amount. I my my personal view is that any average statistic around venture capital is misleading. In fact, any average statistic around startups full stop is is a bit misleading, because almost all things in that world follow a power law. there, there are a few investments that you make or there are a few firms that make investments that generate the most extreme returns or in, in our world actually deliver the the largest amount of social or environmental impact as well and that's just part of the model that is again that's different from a bank so where a bank just you know charges essentially the same amount of interest within a within a margin to, to almost everybody that they they back and expects the same amount of money back from all the businesses that they that they fund. <coughs> a venture capital firm doesn't at all. It expects to lose the vast majority of those inf- investments, um, but the ones that do work out will return far more than the losses from the ones that didn't work out, uh, and that inevitably means that you you end up with a with a power law of of returns in terms of there are a few firms that do much better than, than the rest. Mm. both in terms of the, the firms that are invested in and then the venture capital firms that invested in those firms. So yeah it's it's a kind of an index if you like of venture capital would probably tell you that it doesn't do better than the than just investing in a in a tracker fund uh, but if you manage to choose to invest in the few venture capital firms that do really well, you will massively outperform. Public markets, and that's that's the experience I think of of, of a number of LPs uh, who've done super well because they were they've consistently allocated to very good venture capital firms.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me, Paul, because I don't know the answer to that. Power law was that Sebastian Malaby's coinage, or did that term exist before him?
1: I don't know who who coined it. I have to admit, but it's essentially just you know if if you've got a a log scale and you look at it, it's the, the head of the of the tail is where all of the oh sorry are you still there
0: yeah I'm still there
1: um the uh the area under the head of the tail you know massively out outweighs the area under the the long the, the long tail because it's because it's limited it doesn't go on forever it just sort of you know it just stops and uh that means that you know those, those top few investments that you make will will generate the majority of the returns.
0: Mm. if if somebody said establishing a vc is just like establishing any other startup would you agree or disagree with that uh, yeah it's
1: i think um unfortunately it is very very difficult to create a new vc firm um it's there are lots of barriers to entry um i i sort of wish it was easier because i think we'd see more kind of competition and more um more variety, if you like, in the venture capital world, if it was easier to start them, but um, you, and I, you know, you you do need to start off with some money. And that means that it is disproportionately biased towards people who've been successful already uh, in terms of starting starting a new VC firm. Um, And uh, you also need to be able to convince the regulator that you're you know, an upstanding person, which generally means you have to already have some experience of investing. So there are lots of things where there's, it's difficult to start a venture capital firm unless you've done something similar or adjacent before, um, and that that does make it difficult. So you know we took a quite unconventional path into starting Bethnal Green Ventures in that. Um, uh, we managed to, to. We started very, very small. So our first fund was 150,000 pounds, which is tiny by by venture capital uh, standards. But we managed to show with that small amount of money that uh, w- we could find firms that were, uh, you know, would, would grow the way that other venture capital firms would be looking to to do as well. to, I mean, two of the first firms that we invested in are now you know multi million pound companies. Um, and that enabled us to then raise a bit more money, and then to raise a bit more money, and we took that path. Whereas actually, it, that's quite a difficult path to take. Most most venture capital firms that start start with a fair amount of money, but based on the the previous track record of the the investors who generally split off from another venture capital firm, is that's the most the common way that that new venture capital firms get started. Uh, but I think it is there should be better ways into the venture capital industry. I'd, I'd really like there to be more almost you know, incubators for VC firms, uh, because I think you'd get more diversity, more, uh, more divergence of approaches if you had a wider range of people starting venture capital businesses.
0: On that, Paul, can I ask you, what do you think you have learned about A, raising money for a VC and B, selecting successful companies
1: so about ra- raising money uh, it, it, it's incredibly hard it's um we've uh it, not everybody invests in venture capital so you, you know you it, and it's it's right that actually ordinary investors are actually protected to some extent from investing in venture capital because it is very high risk so i wouldn't want everybody to you know um put their savings into venture capital because you, you know, there's a good chance you'd lose them all. And that's, so that that's right. That it should be, um, uh, a difficult to some extent, uh, type of investment to, 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 back or to, to get involved in. Um, but then I think there are lots of misconceptions about venture capital as well. So, um, it doesn't have to be quite as risky as some people think it is. Um, and you know, by, by creating a portfolio of companies that you invest in, uh, and doing that really, in know, in a way that is statistically likely to, re- to, to, to give returns, you can pro- produce very, very good returns from venture capital. Um, so I think there are lots of misconceptions about venture capital in the investor community, the LP community, if you like, um, which make it difficult to fundraise. And then there's also, um, you know, as I say, actually, there's a very small number of firms generate the outsized returns as they're sometimes called and they're quite famous you know so everybody wants to be in on those firms so as a new venture capital fund it's very difficult to raise money because nobody knows what your track record is whereas they can see the track record of the big famous firms typically in silicon valley so becoming a what's you're usually known as a, an emerging manager is very hard because you don't have the statistics to to show to potential investors that you, you know, you the track record that you can generate those kind of returns. So um it is very, very hard as a as a when you're starting out to raise money in venture capital. Um, but it gets easier is the other thing I would say. You know, I've having done this for 10 years, as you gradually build up that track record, as you gradually build the relationships with investors who then refer other investors to you, it gets easier over time. Um, but yeah, it is it is still very, very hard to raise a venture capital fund in the first place. And then in terms of what we learned from selection, I think um for us it's about uh being systematic. So making sure that as many and as diverse a group of people as possible know that we exist and what we can offer in terms of, uh, you know, the investment we can provide and the support we can provide, and then just being really systematic about choosing, you know, the the the, the founders and the teams that apply to us for for funding, um, based on you know the criteria that we've learned are, are likely to lead to success, and that's as I say, it's a deep understanding of the problem that they're trying to solve like some diversity of thought and approach in that team um in terms of you know people being everybody being able to bring something different to to solving that problem um and then you know i think there's a, there's an element of uh just sheer skill of those people as well you know are, do they have the ability to build the technology that they're talking about do they have the ability to to tell the story of what they're trying to do in a way that's going to attract other investors and and customers um and do they have the kind of grit and determination to see it through for the for the long term, which is because of these, you know, you're typically talking about a decade of your life applied to a you know a successful startup. So you've you got to be gotta be willing to stick with it. Um so yeah, we're just very systematic about looking for those things when people approach us and then just choosing the 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 top teams, if you like, that apply to us for for investment.
0: I think we are. we both enjoy John Carreyrou's Bad Blood which is the book about um Elizabeth Holmes for the listeners Elizabeth Holmes was the co-founder and CEO of Theranos Theranos was a startup i think about founded 2001 2003 um they had an edison machine that would do blood analysis based on a finger prick test as opposed to taking you know using a syringe and drawing blood um I think she's been sentenced, and, and all of that is kind of over now, but if people Google it, they'll find out it's a fantastic book. but But the book highlights, and you mentioned that before, it just it's a lot about deception. There's a lot of themes in there, but deception is one of them. exaggeration is one of them. Uh, veneer is, is is another one. How do you guys account for deception, exaggeration? Have you developed any system, any heuristics? How, how do you try to nullify that?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's very difficult to to um, to assess technologies if you don't understand them. So if 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 somebody comes to you with something where uh, like oh that sounds magical, <laughs> um, I think we're we're automatically got a little bit of our sort of spidey senses uh, <laughs> is heightened at that point um and certainly we wouldn't invest in anything if we didn't understand understand how it worked. So um and, and I'm not claiming to be sort of some tech genius who understands everything, but we do have people around us who we can call on to, to ask, you know, real experts who can we can say, look, is does does this make sense? Is is the way that they're explaining how this technology works, is that is that legitimate? Um and that having that network around us is 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 brilliant and it helps us to to assess those things it's very very rare that we ever come across anything where some where we think that somebody is essentially you know lying about um what the how the technology works or what it what it can do i think also we we're generally investing in software businesses rather than hardware businesses and that's one of the things about Theranos is that it was a hardware business so um yeah it was difficult difficult to sort of penetrate to some extent for for the investors who are involved but um and software is easier to to probe I would say off usually not not always but but usually so I think we we've built up a, a network around us of people that we can call on to to ask you know is this is this legit as it were uh, which is which is very very helpful um I think there's an element of um what Elizabeth Holmes was good at is 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 they is, is storytelling, um, and uh, we do, it, we almost encourage that actually in our startups. I'm not we don't encourage them to lie, and we don't encourage them to exaggerate, but we do encourage them to have a good story and to tell their story well. Um, I think she just took that like way to the extreme and got into a situation where essentially it was all based on a lie. So it didn't matter what the story was she told; it, it was always going to be a lie um but but that that ability to tell a story is actually like that's pretty key actually to being to being an entrepreneur to being a founder not that i'm saying that she she deserves any sympathy for that because what she was trying the, the story she was trying to tell was a lie but um yeah there are there are elements of the story where i i do wonder you know would we would we see through the story you know and and because what what elizabeth holmes was pitching was an impact startup she was trying you know trying to improve people's health and so on um and i i'd like to say yes i think we would have done um but yeah i, I we've got to be constantly vigilant around those kinds of things and watching you know how do how do those watching for those things i guess the other the other thing is that we um we're a bit different from most investors in that we spend uh, a lot of time in the first three months after we invest w- directly with the, with the, the founders of the startup almost working alongside them. So anything that's a bit iffy, <laughs> we're very likely to pick up. Um, and ultimately I don't think people who are trying to do something fraudulent uh, would approach BGV for finance partly for that reason in that we're just we're so hands-on we're so um so involved that it would be I hope very difficult to, to pull the wool over our eyes.
0: On that theme of the importance of storytelling, I think it was in the Walter Isaacson biography of um, Steve Jobs where he talks about how doing that calligraphy class at university really gave him something he took away, he got that sense of simplicity and form and beauty that infused products later. Would you advise every founder to take a creative writing class? Any other classes that you think is uh, important for their skill set?
1: Um, uh, yes, I think I think uh, understanding how to how to how to boil complex ideas and um, systems down to a simple story is a is a very important skill for founders um and it's not necessarily that 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 comes from a creative writing class but i think it does come from like seeing things that you admire and and um companies or other startups that you think are 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 brilliant and almost deconstructing their story working out how have they put together that 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 story and and it's one of the things we try to help our founders with is to try and like help them simplify in some ways what they're doing and, and boil that down to a story that that engages people whether they're investors or, or customers or potential employees and so on because if you can't tell your story well you're you're not probably not going to thrive um, it, it is a very competitive environment in terms of raising investment in terms of like getting the best people to come and work for your company uh, and certainly in terms of you know trying to get customers to to use your your product or service so yeah so that that ability to stories because you, you won't have the big budget to plaster adverts everywhere you've you've just got the, the the very cheap but effective tool of telling your story well and that's that's why it's important
0: mm. the story you told me of that founder you know who developed um, a startup around monitoring um, uh, children during clinical trials, it raises the question of passion. It's, it's, you know, hotly debated. There's there's a lot of opinions on that. How important is passion when it comes to succeeding with your startup? Um,
1: I think, yeah, we we often talk about, uh the companies we back being mission driven um so and i guess that word mission is slightly different from passion but it's like it's it's it is maybe a little bit more directive so it's like wanting to change something So you can be you can be passionate about something in terms of just being really interested in it, but you might not necessarily know how to change it. And I think that mission, that idea of movement, that idea of changing something from the way it is to the way you think it should be. That's probably more what we look for. Um, And yeah, I mean, passion is definitely an indicator of that. But that idea of. Uh, understanding the problem and then having a mission to to change it and an idea as to how to achieve that mission—that's really what we're looking for when we're when we're when we're backing and selecting founders at BGV.
0: This is a tough question. I'm not sure there's a good answer to that. I mean, um, people who taught creative writing have tried to tell people what to be passionate or mission-driven about, and I haven't seen a particularly good answer—not not particularly good answer to it. But it's just tough to articulate it. But if a young person were looking for some advice around, well, how do you find your mission? Mm. Is there anything uh, you want to respond to it now or think about it a little bit? Because it's a tough one.
1: It, oh, it's a very tough one. I mean, um, it, it does, it comes from uh, like just experiencing the world in as diverse and white, you know. Uh, uh, trying lots of different things to, to find what you're what you care about most and um, and being I think self-aware as well like so you uh, constantly asking yourself like you know what what do I what do I think about this what do I what do I feel about this issue whether that's in the news or whether it's in your directly in your life and then when you start to realize I, I think it, there is a just a bit of an emotional realization that this is something I care about Um like diving deeper and trying to understand that problem more and if the more you dive and the more you try to understand it the more you care about it the more you start to think I, I want to change this then then that's a very good sign and um, you know certainly I think I don't think there's a particular age or a particular time of life when when that that's limited to I think you know certainly we've had Founders who've approached us who are in their seventies, you know, who've, who've found something new that they really care about and they want to ch- to change when they're when they're much older. Is um, and then we've also backed people who are um, before you know going to university. So, it's 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 not something that's it's something that can happen to anybody at any time of life. But it's just that self awareness of like sort of spotting. Hang on, this is <laughs> this is making me feel a particular way, and I want to do something about it. That's that's the key thing for me. It's like spot understanding that, and then and then just running with it, and uh, trying to learn as much as you possibly can about that problem and and understand it. And then you, solutions tend to come from deep understanding of problems rather than just out of
0: thin air. Mm. So uh, continuing with that theme and thinking a little bit about okay, finding a passion that's for the more the founder side of it. Um, some people are going to be interested in. In the VC industry itself. Um, sometimes when you, again, look, they may be true, maybe they're not true when you read some things and the FT and the economist, but th- there's been an article I read a while ago, I think it was from the 2000s. The, the character came out of an MBA, he and his classmates really believed this idea that working for a VC, the industry is filtering for people who have a strong risk appetite. Um, is that true? Is that not true? And then the general question you know what what character traits succeed in in the vc vc industry and i know the answer depends a little bit where exactly are, are you what are you referring to is it a general part is it some other part but, but what's your general take on character traits
1: yeah it's interesting isn't it i think um, there are some there are some uh, common backgrounds to venture capitalists and then when you look at some of the most successful venture capitalists,
0: it's
1: the the balance isn't entirely the same as the general venture capital uh, world. And actually, like you know, there's a there's a few super successful venture capitalists um, who are former journalists. Um, so uh, Mike Moritz, who was one of the sort of key people at Sequoia in in the US and backed uh, Google and a lot of various other firms, actually I've sort of lose track. You know, he 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 started his career as a um as a journalist and i think that like if if um if you think of founders as like great storytellers actually like journalists are the people who go looking for the good story and i think there is an element of that in in venture capital as well that the the best venture capitalists are the, not necessarily the best storytellers but they're the people who go and, and look for the story look for the raw materials of the best stories and but that, that Um, inquisitive nature that like probing and sort of trying to find the best story when people maybe don't haven't told it that well yet themselves Mm. that's a really important element I think of um, asking good questions basically I guess is that is 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 the key sort of part of that but yeah there is there is definitely a a bit of a trope of like um, some former journalists who've gone on to be very very good venture capital investors but then there are obviously the more conventional ways in which is Uh, with a background in like finance or investment banking those kinds of those kinds of areas and you you certainly come across a lot of uh, venture capitalists from that that background and I think that definitely brings a particular kind of skill to building a portfolio and uh, understanding like you know what 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 returns are possible from particular investments and so on it's it's a very valuable skill set and then the other skill set that you you find quite often in in, in venture capital is former founders so people who've started their own business before um, often successfully I mean in my case it wasn't particularly successfully but um, I certainly learned a huge amount through the through the journey and uh, you can apply that as a venture capitalist because uh, partly you've got you can you can have a bit of a second sense as to what founders are going to be thinking and uh, and feeling at particular times and you can you can preempt that um, and and save them. Uh, lots of worries and lots of uh and help them with decision making because you're you know you've, you've been there yourself um so yeah i would say those um those are three skill sets that are very useful in the venture capital business um is yeah being, being able to be the person who can spot a good story uh having that like right, yeah deep financial and numerical approach is, is also very useful and then finally that just sort of having done it yourself uh, having that empathy with founders and and that understanding of like probably what's going to come next, um, that's also a useful skill set.
0: And here, I just like to jump in and uh, you know tell any listener that getting coverage in the FT and in the Guardian, um, raising three hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know, I'll challenge anyone to do that, and then we'll we'll talk about it again what what's a successful, not successful startup. <laughs> um they're different stages definitely you know you can be listed on, on a stock exchange but you know again wow i mean anyone who's ever tried to do a startup realizes how difficult and tough it is um um if you what would be your advice let's say there is somebody who's young maybe in the second or third year maybe even somebody who's worked in a different industry came back and now did a masters um and they're considering a career in VC. What should they do in order to become the asset that a VC firm cares about?
1: Yeah, I, I think it probably is. It, it's experience in one of those areas that we talked about. Um, <laughs> certainly startup experience is very valuable. So, um, yeah, even if you haven't started your own startup, having been part of a startup that is uh, that there's somewhere on that that growth trajectory is is very useful experience for people working in vc um and but i would i i mean to be honest i would probably say you know the best the best way to to learn it is to is to try and start your own start your own startup um and and learn that process that way obviously it's not it's not straightforward but that, that is you know one of the best sort of experiences um i think yeah the the sort of uh the numeracy side of things the like you know the ability to understand venture capital models and like how venture capital investment really works what's 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 the what's the financial drivers behind it how do you structure a fund all those kinds of things they're super useful as well um amazing you, the, amazingly you could, yeah, I mean, you can learn a lot of that online, to be honest. it's not it's it's uh, it's not that secret like how venture capital is structured and how it works. but um yeah, experience in that world is is also very useful, whether that's um, sort of theoretical or or applied. um and then the other the other way is to um I mean I, I know this is almost is very difficult unless you've um, but to to try and find startups and uh, invest in them personally now that doesn't necessarily need to be financially in terms of you know if you can uh, find startups that you think are super exciting and help them you you might not have the money to be able to um, to invest in them and that is also a great signal to potential VC firms if you can show how you helped a number of startups to to grow whether that was as a employee or as an advisor or just like you know almost as a volunteer um that is also a great signal i would say for potential uh, vc there's, there's also some really good schemes now so there's um there's a uh program called future vc uh which is a, essentially a sort of internship program that is uh, geared to try and increase diversity in the in the venture capital industry uh, which uh you know people can apply to there's there's similar schemes in other countries and in the. US as well um I wish there were far more of them I have to admit um and also you know I wish that more um more venture capital firms ran paid internship programs as well I think that would be that would be really good to help people get a bit of experience in the in the venture capital industry um, but those things are a bit few and far between but but there are they are there if you if you look
0: I could have asked other things but i'm not um because that's fantastic advice and i want to stop um on an end note um and, and end on a high um was great speaking to you i really enjoyed it i think the content is very useful anyone who's interested in vcs and startups please um, check out uh, BGV's website um, if you're having a startup and you're thinking of funding bgb has a program that you can apply to Uh, And frankly, they're not too far away from us at the LSE. You guys are based at Blackfriars.
1: We are. We're just down the road. So, um, yeah, we'd uh, love to hear from you.
0: Just one cycle ride away. All right. Thank you.